Um, well, it is good to be back here with you. It's been a while uh, since me and Amanda have gotten to, to come and to preach, and uh, so I'm so excited to be here, and, um, and, and, and your pastor is exactly right with Bobby being the best preacher in our association. I am just a bearded preacher in our association. That's why, as I told him last week when he told me he was going to say that. Um, listen, uh, uh, if you don't know uh, me, and if I haven't met you, uh, I represent um, the, the director of the BSM. Uh, that's what I do. I'm at the, at the BSM on Grayson College campus. It is literally a college ministry uh, that this church supports. So I am a missionary uh, from your church for your church to reach college students, and we need that, don't we? Like, we need that, especially in this uh, day and age. Um, so Pastor Russell and I went to lunch uh, recently, and uh, we began to talk, talking about reaching the next generation. I love the, the VBS video and all the faces that are there and all the people that are part of VBS and all kind of next generation ministries, because that's what this church is doing. But, but uh, as we began to talk, that really forged uh, the content for this uh, message, and, and this message is really clear. If you're a note taker, uh, the message is we need to be reaching the next generation. How do we reach the next generation? That's, that's the point of this uh, message. And as, as I say that, I've got two really brief announcements, um, and these are just for maybe a few of you in the room. Uh, first is if you are interested at all in college ministry, Monday, August the 7th, um, we will feed you dinner on Grayson College campus and talk to you about what that means. All right, so Monday, August the 7th, is that two weeks from now? We're going to host a dinner, and, and we're going to talk about what it looks like to reach uh, college students as a part of the next generation. And then lastly, uh, we're doing a move-in day, uh, August the 14th. The week after that, we are going to move students in. What's that look like? On that Monday, we're going to move students in from 9 to 5, and then we're going to feed them desserts from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock at night. Uh, this is a pretty genius event. We move students in, which means carrying many fridges up, flights of stairs. For some of you, that's not for you. For others, you're like, that's my spiritual gift, okay? And uh, if you're interested in that, you can come help us. We're moving 170 new students in to the campus. And so what we do is we move them in with a crew from all churches and our, our association. And then if you're like, well, I can't do that, that's okay. We feed them dessert that night, all right? This is one thing Baptist churches do really well. And so we're going to feed them free dessert after their orientation and then get to introduce them to the BSM and through that introduce them to our churches. And so if you're interested in any of those things, come talk to me. Uh, I, I gave that information to Pastor Russell. Uh, it's, it can be available to you easily. Um, but these are things that we're doing. And again, the point of this entire talk is we need to be thinking, how do we reach those who are next? When, when I start thinking about this in this message, I just want to share a story with you. In the early 2000s, uh, there was a man uh, a man like uh, some of you in this, in this room, uh, he and his normal family attended a normal growing church in East Texas. This man had, a, had two young children with another on the way. He was working a full-time job and was the sole provider for his growing family. This man actively went to church and Sunday school. He went to the programs. And yet one Sunday morning in early 2000, he was convicted. Um, during that Sunday morning message, he realized that even though he was attending the church, he was a pew-warming Christian, and he wasn't participating as the church. As God began to show him uh, that, he showed him he, he's not just called to be a part of the church, but rather to be the church. 
And that meant not just reaching those, uh, not just receiving messages each week and receiving things from the programs, but God was calling him to reach those who would be next. After that moment, this man and his family tried something new. They began to host a small Bible study for graduates and college students, and it was really simple. It was at their house. They paid for it. They made dinner every week, and they opened their home to, again, graduates and college students. Now, why do I tell you that? Because you and I are like the man in the story. We are called to be the church, and we must reach those who would be next. Who are the next? I'm going to use that word a lot in this message. Who are the next? Who's the next generation? That's not just the young people. That's not just, that's not just children and youth. <laughs> it's not just college students. The next are those who would follow Jesus next. It, it is the folks that will fill this place in 10 years. It's the folks that will fill this place in 20 years, in 30 years, in 50 years, in 100 years. There will be next generation of people coming to worship Jesus in this place. Amen? Do we ever think about that? Some of us know we're like the rapture. Surely it's going to happen before that. Are you with me? Sometimes that's how we think. But we need to be reaching the next. We need to be focused on the next because there will be a next. There will be another generation. We're going to look at that theme through Matthew chapter 16 this morning. This is seven verses, so it should only take us about 45 minutes to break it down, okay? And so, um, but we're going to be looking at this um, for Matthew uh, 16. Uh, we'll start in verse 13 in a second. There's no notes on the screen. This is, this is hot off the press, okay? Are you with me? Um, anybody ever go to the donut shop, like hot, uh, like Krispy Kreme and the red light's on, right? It means it's fresh. This sermon is just for you this morning. It's all uh, fresh. And so you're just going to have to follow with me as we unpack this text. I've got two big points for us this morning and a couple observations uh, that the Holy Spirit gave me walking through this very familiar text. So let me pray, and then we're going to unpack it together. So, Father, thank you for our time, and God, I just pray that you would make this clear. <clears throat> Jesus, you want to reach those who are next, and you want to use us to do that. And so I pray that we would see that through the example of your church, and I pray that we would desire to be your church. We would desire to be your hands and your feet. Jesus, you are king, and you're reigning on a throne, and we are your kingdom. And you, you work through us to reach the world. That's, that's your desire, and I pray that that would be our desire this morning as, as you breathe life in us again, as you remind us of your truth again, as you show us new things this morning and challenge us to reach others in new ways. God, we love you. Thank you so much for this time. I pray you'd speak by the power of your spirit. I can't do anything on my own apart from you. It's in your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. All right. Matthew 16, starting in verse 13, we read this. Now, when Jesus came into the district, of Caesarea Philippi. Turn to your neighbor and say, Caesarea Philippi. <laughs> that was good. That was good. All right, so why is that important? We'll, we'll talk about it in a second. When he came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do you say that the Son of Man is? And they said in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who... Do you say that I am? How many of you have read that before? You're like, I'm familiar with this passage. That's good. That's good. As I was thinking about this, the Holy Spirit brought this to mind. And 
and showed me some new truths. The first thing that I want to share with you this morning from this short text is this, that God wants to reach those who would be next. God wants to reach the next. God wants to reach those who would be next. And we see that in verses 13 through 15. I love this. Two observations here. We see first that Jesus reached new territory. Caesarea Philippi, uh, it was about 25 miles northeast of the Sea of Galilee. And I love this because this population, this area, was mainly non-Jewish. And it would have been rare for Jews to be around this region. Caesarea Philippi was an area associated with idols and rival deities. The area was scattered with temples uh, of ancient Syria, um, and all those temples worshipped Baal and all these other false gods. One commentator said, uh, apparently beside this place there rose a great hill in which was a deep cavern said to be the birthplace of the, of the false god Pan in that area, in that time, um, the god of nature. In Caesarea Philippi, there was a great temple of white marble built to the godhead of Caesar. Um, it is as if Jesus deliberately set himself against this background for this message. Jesus sets himself in this place, in this region that was the starting place for false gods. In this region that was the starting place for false worship. What, what, what was he doing? He was using new territory to open up new spiritual territory in the lives of his disciples. I love this. God often uses the new to reach the next, doesn't he? God often uses new things to reach those who would be next. Jesus did things that no one expected. Jesus showed up in ways unpredicted. That's what we see in this text. And I just, again, this is my conviction. We have to get serious about doing these kind of things. We have to be serious about reaching the next. Sometimes we have to do that, and we have to do new things in order to reach those who would be next. And I'll tell you, just from my participation in association life, there are 63 Baptist churches in our association. Some are scared to do new things. Some find it really challenging to do new things. And yes, it does take effort, it takes time, it takes creativity. But, but why should we? And then there's this mentality in some of our churches. It's not here, I promise you that. There's this mentality, well, if it ain't broke, don't what? Don't fix it. There's this mentality that exists in Southern Baptist churches. Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I'm here to tell you this morning that there is something broke in our churches. There is something broke. There is something that's not working right. There is something that's not working like it was supposed to. I'm going to give you an example coming straight out of the Southern Baptist Convention report this year. I had a student that went. He came back and brought the book of reports. That sounds like something to put you to sleep. Are you with me? If I start reading it, absolutely. And yet, he gave it to me. I thought, I'm not reading that. And, 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 and then he showed me something that just blew me away. For the first time ever, I'll get to share that. Um, in 1992, um, from 1992 to 1993, that academic year, um, for Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, that's where I went it's where, uh, that's a, a seminary dedicated to training pastors and teachers and youth ministers, all that, right? Y'all familiar with it, right? That's my school. Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, 1992, there, were, there was 3,129 full-time students enrolled at Swivets, we call it. 3,129 students enrolled. Last year, 2021 to 2022, there was only 793 full-time students enrolled. That's a 74% drop. 
Okay, now listen, that number is still it's 793. You say, well, that's, that's a lot. That includes their undergraduate and their graduate programs. That's not a lot, folks. Let me give you another crazy number. Out of, that, out of those statistics, in 1992, there were uh, 1,486 people enrolled in the Masters of Divinity program, the MDiv program. That's the most common program that young pastors go to before they go to churches, all right? Last year, so again, 1992, 1,486. Last year, there was 152 people enrolled in the MDiv program, Southwest. Those are, those are real numbers. I'm not, that's, that drop is, is insane. It's crazy. Why am I saying that? Because something is broke across our nation. Our church says, what is it going to look like for the next generation to sit here? Who's, who's going to be filling the pulpit in those next generations? Another 50 or, or, or 60 or 100 years later, who's, who's filling the pulpit? We've got to do something different. That's, that's the point here. We've got to do something. We've got to get serious about reaching the next generation like Jesus did. And in this text, we see Jesus took his people to a new place. I think it's funny, we like to stay in Nazareth sometimes. That's where we're most comfortable. Or occasionally, we like to venture to Jerusalem. That's what everybody else is doing. But Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea of Philippi, this new place, this new territory, so he could, he could reach those who would be next. And I love this, because in order to reach the next, Jesus asked a new question, didn't he? Jesus asks a new question in this text, and really, you're like, that's not really a new question. That's an old question. But for his disciples, this was a new question. He has two things. What was the first one? Who do people say that I am? That was the first question. And I, I like this because let me just give this to you for free this morning. He didn't ask that because he didn't know, okay? <laughs> he's God. He's the God man. He's divine. He knew. He didn't ask that because he didn't know. What, but what we learn from his answer is many people did not know him. And, and I think this is interesting. People answer. Uh, the disciples said, some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. And some say Jeremiah or as one of the prophets. People were answering with a lot of different things. And I just want to tell you the truth here. Thinking Jesus is a good person, thinking Jesus was a great person, thinking Jesus is the man upstairs, thinking Jesus is the one who you go to to pray to, thinking Jesus is who you worship on a Sunday morning, none of those answers mean you know Jesus. There are many people that knew of Jesus, and they didn't know Jesus. Jesus asked this first question, who do, you say, who do people say that I am? And then he asked the second question. This is a new question. This is the first time he asks this to his disciples. And he says to Peter specifically, Peter and his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And it's funny, as most messages Kind of, and we're going to unpack that in a second. But that question, have you ever wondered why does Jesus ask that question at all? <laughs> it's really the point of this entire message. It's the central question of this message. Why did Jesus ask them at all? Why didn't he just tell them? Why does he ask a question? Why does he pose this in this way? Why does Jesus do this? Why doesn't he just tell them? I think it's funny. There's a lot of truthful and untruthful sayings uh, that we have in our culture. I'm going to ask you a few. Here's what I want you to do. Here's a little icebreaker warm-up for you. I'm going to ask you four things. These are sayings, okay? If you think that this is a truthful saying, I want you to 
like give it a thumbs up. If you think it's not, I'm making it up, I want you to give an X, just like this. Are y'all okay with that? All right, here's saying number one. Um, if you feed them, they will come. There's a few people that don't know. That's a college truth, okay? That's a true one, yeah, all right. Here's another one. Uh, let her know you are right, and she will agree. Uh, okay, all the ladies did this. Okay, so guys, look around. If you guys are doing that, you need to pray for, you need to be prayed for. Um, all right, if mama ain't happy, no one is happy. There you go. Uh, again, I've got lady participation big time this morning. Very good. Guys, we need to work. All right, let me try another word. If you tell them, they will change. <laughs> now the guys are like, ah, so that didn't work. Very good. What's funny is culturally, we know, we know, we know at, our bo- at the bottom of our hearts, change doesn't come with just information, but rather invitation. Change doesn't come from invitation, uh, from information, it comes from invitation. And what we see in this text is, is Jesus invites the next generation. Jesus invites them, he invites them with a new question. I love this because God is not afraid of questions. Um, In the Bible, Jesus asks 307 questions in the New Testament. In the whole Bible, God asks a total of 3,093 questions. What's funny is Jesus asks 307 of those, and he only answers three in the New Testament. Do you know that? Um, and, And what we see is Jesus, he was not afraid of questions. He was not afraid of questions, but I want you to see something deeper. Jesus was asking this question to the next generation. Who do you say that I am? Uh, here's newsflash for you. I'm not going to go into all this. The disciples, we always think of them as being old men or, or fishermen late in life. Um, it, is, it is heavily supported. Uh, there's evidence to say that they were very, very young men, mostly between 13 to age 18 or maybe 20 latest, the disciples. A couple reasons for that. Number one, it would have been um, it would have been improbable for, uh, for old men to follow a new rabbi uh, to become disciples of a rabbi. Um, most discipleship began around age 13. The fact that Jesus' disciples were not discipled at that age meant that there was something wrong with them and they were rejected. So they were probably past 13 into 15 or so. We know Peter's married, but you could have got married at 13. Matthew's the only exception because he was a tax collector and you had to be 18 years old to collect taxes for Rome. Are you with me this morning? But it would have been very unlikely that Jesus' disciples, Jesus was age 30 when he started his ministry, that they would have been the same age as him. They would have been younger, either teenagers or for, for the purposes of the sermon, college age students that Jesus was reaching. And Jesus reached the next generation with a new question. Who do you say that I am. Church, I'm just going to go ahead and give this to you. Jesus just gave us the most effective strategy in reaching the next generation. So many could be reached if just one relationship was formed and one question was asked. And that question is not, do you know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? It's not that. No, it's a question that invites relationship. It's a question of invitation. What do you think about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? You know, sometimes we're scared to ask that question to others because we don't know how they're going to respond. But their response invites them to a deeper relationship. Are you with me this morning? Well, what are we seeing? We're seeing this, that Jesus wants to reach those who are next, and he uses new ways to do that. Let's go into the last part of this verse, and we're going to finish 
out this message. Verse 16, we read this. Simon Peter then replied to this question. You are the what? You're the Christ. Somebody said amen. You are the Christ. He got it right. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. He says, Peter, you can't take all the credit. That's the right answer. And God opened your eyes to see it. He goes on, and I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. All right, some of you are like, are you about to go through that? I just woke up, right? Yeah, we're about to, we're about to go through that in just a second. In verse 20, he says, Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one he was the Christ. It wasn't the time for that yet. And in verse 21, it says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Last point this morning, God does something new to reach those who would be next. God does something new to reach those who would be next. We see that in verses 16 through 18. And the first thing that we see is the truth of Jesus is confessed. In this verse, Simon Peter steps up from the group of the disciples and he boldly proclaims the answer that we should proclaim. When asked who is Jesus to him, he says, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah, you're my king, right? And all God's people said, amen. And I love this because this divine revelation came from a personal relationship with Jesus. The confession Peter is making here is monumental. Why? Because the identity of Jesus is essential for transformation by Jesus. Knowing who Jesus is is essential to grow in a relationship with Jesus. Why am I saying that? Because, man, that's, that's what we need to be about. That's what every church needs to be about. We don't just need to do things to do things. We need to do things so that people can know the identity of the divine king. Amen? This is what we need to be about. I love this. Uh, about two years ago, I was sitting on Grayson College campus, and there, there was this big board of directors meeting, and I got to go, I don't know why, as the BSM director, I don't work for the college, I work for this church, but I got to go, and I sat around a bunch of PhDs, and the president of the university said, I want you guys to, to tell us what your department is and what you do, and I had all these really eloquent PhD-level answers going around the room, there's like 50 people in this room, and they came to me, and I said, well, I'm, I'm Austin Lambert. I'm the director of the BSM. We feed students and tell them about Jesus. That's what we do, all right? It's very simple. And we start every semester. I tell, I tell every single student that visits us on a Wednesday lunch, hey, listen, our goal here is really simple. We want you to know Jesus. That's it. That's our hidden agenda. There it is. We want to love you. We want to feed you. We want to love you like Jesus, but we want you to know Jesus. So we're going to talk a lot about him, all right? That's it. It's simple. But that has got to be essential to what we are about as Christians and what we're about as a church. The identity of Jesus is essential for transformation by Jesus. And I love it. Here's what I love. It doesn't stop there. You see, we, sometimes we stop there and we say, okay, we, we've, we've, got to, we've got to talk about Jesus 
and, and we're going to get people to know Jesus, and then all, it's, it stops. The programs stop. The stuff stops. The Sunday mornings stop exactly in another five minutes, okay? Are you with me? Everything stops after this point, but, but Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell his disciples one more thing. So the truth is confessed, and then Jesus goes on to tell his disciples that they would be commissioned. The church would be commissioned. I love it. Um, after, Peter's, after Peter gets it right, Jesus goes on to say this, and I tell you, Peter, on this rock I will build my what? My church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And all God's people said, what was that, right? Are you with me? What was that? What did he say? What did he say? He said the church would be commissioned. After Peter's declaration, Jesus makes a profound promise that he was about to build his church on the rock. Jesus didn't say on you. He wasn't talking about just Peter here, but the proclamation of faith, the proclamation about the identity of Jesus. He was going to build his church on the rock of truth that was centered on his identity. In this moment, um, Jesus would use the first word that we see in the New Testament for church. It's the Greek word ekklesia. It means group. It wasn't really a religious word. <laughs> Jesus said, on the foundation of my identity, I'm going to build my group. I'm going to build my people. I'm going to build this called out group. And then in the next moment, it's almost like Jesus is passing the baton, if it were, and entrusting his disciples to reach the next generation with what he would do in them. His role was about to change, and so was theirs. The king was going to his throne, and his kingdom was about to launch. His kingdom is his church, and what I want you to see about the church is two last things as we close. First, the church was his plan to reach the next generation. That's really the overall thing. The church was his plan. It was the next step to reach those who were next. Why? Two things. First, the church would not be stopped. The church would not be stopped. What does he say about the church? The gates of, of what? Hell would not prevail against it. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes you, you've heard that before, and you've heard it, and you're like, okay, like, hell's not going to tear the church down. That's not what he's saying. Gates are not an offensive weapon, okay? All right? Get, nobody, somebody breaks into your house, you're not like, hey, honey, let me go get the gate, okay? Are you with me? Not an offensive weapon. What does the gate do? It keeps people out, all right? It keeps people out. Well, what are we seeing here? The gates of hell in this, this text with Jesus is telling us there are gates and there are gates of hell that are there to keep people entrapped and enchained to the powers of hell. There are gates in this world that would keep people enslaved to, to the powers of the enemy. That's what Jesus is revealing in this text. But the church was the plan of Jesus. Amen? The church was the plan of Jesus. The church was his plan. And we as the church can go through the gates and reach the next because it's Jesus who opens the gates. Amen? Like we can go get them. We can go through those gates. I love this. We all have a part in going through the gates to reach the next generation. Whether it's by praying, training, equipping, serving, giving, going, telling, inviting, we all have a part and we need to be serious. And we need to be serious about that. I'm going to tell you one more thing here. Those who are next will go through gates that we can't go through. 
as we, as we go through the gates of hell to reach those who are next, those we reach, they'll go through gates we can never go to. I want to just confess something to you. I'm, I'm no longer relevant to many Gen Zers, okay? I'll be really honest. Like when it comes to youth, like they're almost out of reach for me at this moment. Like I'm not that funny. I'm not that smart. I can't speak in their language. Anybody feel like that ever? You're trying to relate to your grandkids, your nieces, your nephews, your family members. You're like, I just can't get to them. You might be right, but somebody else can. But the person God's calling you to that's next in your life, they might be able to. You see, I'm, I'm losing my effectiveness with Generation Z, but there's a college student out there who is going to be effective. There's somebody out here that's next for me that is going to be effective. They're going to go and get them. We just have to go get those who are next so that they can go get those people who are next and those people who are next and those people who are next and so on and so on. Are you following this morning? We have to be serious about reaching the next generation. Why? Because the church would not be stopped. And then Jesus gives us one more thing in verse 19. He also says, and the church would open heaven to the world. <laughs> the church would open heaven. He, he, it says he gives the keys of his kingdom to his followers, empowering them to continue his work on earth. Uh, this is the confusing part. Uh, it says in verse 19, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Let me ask you a simple question. What do keys do? They unlock. And what else do they do? They lock. They have one purpose. They unlock things, and then they lock things. I love this. Um, well, what's Jesus saying here? The keys of the... By the way, this, this, this saying was very common. It was, a, it was a saying you heard in synagogues. It was a rabbinic phrase, binding and loosing. These were technical terms used in Jewish legal proceedings for prohibiting and permitting. Well, what, how, do, how do we make sense of all this? The keys of the kingdom were given so the church could open the doors of heaven. They could tell people how to get in and tell them how they won't get in. That's what the keys of the kingdom do. And I wanted to just share this with you. We open heaven to the next generation by sharing Jesus with them and showing Jesus to them. Well, how do, how do we do that? Well, forgiving those that offend you. Well, pursuing peace with all people. Well, choosing holiness over unholiness by practicing patience, by demonstrating humility, by celebrating faithfulness, by revealing hope, by rejoicing in suffering, by bearing each other's burdens, by fighting and exposing sin, by practicing righteousness, by walking in love, by making disciples, by telling them about Jesus and showing them how Jesus lived. This is how we do that. This is what it means to hold the keys of the kingdom. Are you with me this morning? You're like, Austin, that's a lot. No, it's not. That's just what Jesus did. We just got to be like him to the rest of them. We got to be like him to the rest of the world. This is what we are called to do. We have got to go get them, church. We have got to go get the next generation. We have got to go through the gates. That's why Jesus reaches the Samaritan woman, and the Samaritan woman reaches Samaria. Jesus reaches Peter, and Peter reaches Cornelius, who reaches his household. That's why Philip reaches the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch likely takes the message of the gospel back, and then Ethiopia is transformed. That's why when Paul reaches Lydia, the seller of purple, her message then reaches her household, and likely it helps start the ministry of, to the church in Philippi. That's why when Paul reached Epaphras, he reached the Colossian people. 
That's why when Priscilla and Aquila, this husband and wife team, reached Apollos, he reached many Jewish leaders. That's why when Paul reached Timothy, Timothy went on to start the church at Ephesus. Are you with me? As, as the next person was reached, God would use the next person to reach the next generation. And we have to be those who reach the next person. As we conclude, I started this message talking to you about a man in early 2000s who felt convicted to reach the next generation. And so this man opened his home to reach graduates and college-age students in his home in early 2000s. All they did was they opened their home to dinner and a Bible study. Homemade dinner, they paid for it. Bible study was all blessed by the church. That man's name was Kevin Tibble, and years later, I would stumble into their living room. Is a very lost, depressed, hopeless college student. That's why I'm here this morning. That's why I'm here this morning. God convicted Kevin and his wife to not be pew-warming Christians, but to be the church that would reach those who would be next. And I was one of those who would be next. And I'm here to tell you this morning, so are you. You're who God wants to reach, and you're the people that he wants to use to reach those who would be next. So how are you doing that? Let me pray, and then we're going to respond during an invitation and close with that, okay? So Father God, here we are. Uh, God, you, you call us to reach those who'd be next. You call us to, uh, to not be afraid of new things and new ways to do that. God, I just pray that we would. God, I pray that you would bless this church family to be your body and to go uh, where others can't go. God, I don't know who the next is. Uh, God, for every single person in this room right now, God, there is somebody that would be next in their life. There is somebody that would represent the next generation of believer that would come into your family. And God, I just pray that you would inspire us to, to do new things, to go where no person has gone and to, to be bold enough to reach those who would be next. God, I pray that you would bless this church. God, I pray that you would bring about the next generation. God, we know that we can't do anything apart from you. And we know that we can't even understand who you are apart from your revealing that through the power of your spirit. And so, God, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning. Allow us to respond to you however you would lead us. God, and bless us as we go. It's in the name of Jesus I pray all these things. All God's people said, amen. amen.